can truly, surely, woo a sigh of relief that 2022 is in the rear view mirror. There was the untimely death of my father and my gangster sister's health crisis and all of us getting COVID and we didn't die. I am here as a testimony to the survival and thriving. No excuses and no patience for pity parties. I'm gonna be talking about how to glow up as a podcaster or not. Good black news and words of encouragement and shade if you stupid. What I'm reading, the Dallas Cowboys and other things, football and sports, pop culture news, donkeys donking and side eye shenanigans. I like the part of the podcast where I talked about over 40 dating and other relationship issues. Quark's bar dedicated to podcasts, reality TV recaps. Join me as I fuss and have a moment as I kick and stomp my way through the next iteration of my life. Join me for this rocking good time. And thank you for listening. I mean, really. First world problems. Trying to figure out how to kill all the yellow jackets on the planet so I can enjoy my pool and charging my RV. That's all I've been thinking about, you know, besides my podcast and ways to make it better. I'm hopeful that the generation of good content and changing editing will propel my podcast to bigger and bigger and a wider and wider audience. What I'm trying to do now is get on my pod beam and just check the numbers. This is like probably one of my most investful podcasters for Spotify. But I hope I will be able to. She's funny. Um, Demetria L. Lucas is recapping both Snow and Succession. I will probably probably just go ahead and decide to um, watch Succession, at least the first couple of episodes. But if you're listening to her, um, she basically had a whole bunch of spoilers in this past, uh, well, the episode that I'm listening to. Um, It's kind of funny. I like the excitement in her voice, and she's always seemed to be doing the most. I am very interested in finding out on my own and basically posting my own reaction to those shows. And it's stars, if you guys have not realized, it's probably one of the best add-ons on Amazon to watch some very good programming. I stopped watching 50 Cent's show, his production, but I'm up to 156,000 different all-time downloads, 13K for the month. Mad shout out to Ohio and Alaska of all places, 713 in Arkansas. Y'all are making me look good in Louisiana. I wish I could go on a whole all beer tour. 
or just if they told me tomorrow that B was working with the feds, and I'd just be like, talking oh, to yeah, yeah, people yeah, 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 doing yeah, yeah. live shows for food. <laughs> that's gonna be. I'm thinking about that's gonna be the title of my first um, live show tour. Will live stream for food. <laughs> that's funny. Come on. I mean, why not? Why wouldn't it be funny? Uh, but I think being allowed um, to talk about what I like, read great books, eat great food, and talk about it on air, and have people clamor for more, that's what it's all about. I got people uh, from all over the country uh, basically giving me my props, and then places like a couple of downloads here and there from like weird places like Bangladesh, but Ukraine, I see you as Russia tries to steal your infrastructure, destroy you because you would not capitulate. I'm there for you. And we got to watch those um, Chinese fools too because they are wanting to basically lay claim to Taiwan. They are, they speak the same language, but have a different culture and you don't have a right and Korea is the same way. You don't have a right to force people under your rule just because that is what you want to do. That whole imperialistic conquering BS started by the English and Spanish. That's the real European BS, but it's not the way that we can all live in harmony and get to the next plane together. It's bullshit. And I'm hopeful that positive a positive look or a different look on life is what's going to and continue to speak out those things in a positive manner is what's going to give hope for the future we got a whole generation of fuck around and find out which is so different they're like gen z on crack i'm here to see what they're going to do next but i don't want them to have to be that militant because I'm hoping the adults and people that have been here for a minute are going to figure this shit out so we won't have to fuck around and find out if they have to pop up on our asses. So that's all I got to say about that. So every day or every week that I do my podcast and I get the downloads and I get new people listening and I get people talking, that's what it's all about. So, if you have any comments on this episode or this segment of the episode, I should say, drop me a line at conferwithreading at gmail.com or consider just dropping this um, in the comments of wherever you listen to the podcast. You have to have the app open. I'm on Spotify and iTunes to be able to drop the comments in. But if you don't feel like doing that, Hit me up. Tenfro is reading at gmail.com. If the comments are not too trolly, I'll actually read it on air. So Jizzy is in a tizzy. I finally had the pleasure to review and read, completely read uh, Giselle Bryan's book, uh, My Word, uh, this past weekend. I spent a great amount of time in my pool, thankfully, kind of loosen up my joints and I'm grateful for that. What I found is if she had shared with the general audience of her unreality show, Real Housewives of Potomac, even a fraction of what she shared in this book, 
it would have made for compelling TV watching, but she didn't. So we got a whole bunch of lies and contrived BS, which she could have either been truly sued for libel or slander. And that would have been the end of her time, definitely on the end of the show, or they could have fired her like they did Phaedra Parks. There was a part she said, Jeremy was beginning to feel a little different to me, like he was a bit of a off kilter, moving away from everything we built our relationship on. It was like he somehow started to rise above me as if we weren't equals. There's a couple parts of the book that I was speculating on. I didn't know if the beginning of the book itself with the demise of the Reverend Robinson in New Orleans of that big mega church was Jamal Bryant, Giselle Bryant's ex-husband, or was he simply the fall of Jeremy Williams, Ginger Williams' husband throughout most of the book? How they were best friends. I've heard Giselle say that about her and Jamal Bryant. I've also could only imagine the feeling of portrayal, the deceit that has to go on when you have multiple affairs on the same person that you love so completely. And they still, even though they are a man of God, they still basically betray you. I think that's why she's so protective and she really would never, this is Giselle Bryan I'm speaking of now, would never basically admit to how the people, the depths of how this man hurt her. She knew he was a star, but she also says in the book, but this star power corrupted him because power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. He basically was carrying on just because he could give a fiery and brimstone message and get the people to follow him and donate and build this big ministry. He thought that allowed him that he could still cave into his basic instincts, father kids outside of the marriage, break her trust and her heart. That's why she couldn't stay. And it was testament to her strength when she actually could walk away. I think it takes strength of character more so probably to walk away because she had so much to lose. But she really didn't lose a whole bunch. She lost enough, I think. But the book itself, you know, with her idioms and you could see peeping out the embarrassment of building something so great that's so much better than you all to be bought down by the basic uh, base nature of a man. And love is just not enough in so many ways, shapes and forms. Unfortunately, even the greatest of these get taken down, unfortunately. And it also lends into and the reason why I have I spoke about relationships instead of going to my usual Reddit feed is because how to spot potentially spot out when there's an issue in the relationship or if the relationship is basically smoke and mirrors. She trusted him wholeheartedly, but she was pretty much or very much naive in the fact that what if love is not enough? What if the love of God is not enough? Because that didn't keep him from cheating. It seems like the more powerfully got that un this character in her book, it unleashed or allowed him to basically think he could do whatever he wanted to willy nilly. And that was so unfair because they both had so much to lose and lose they did.
what attract seemed to retracted Ginger to her husband as well as what mostly retract men or couples to each other or people to each other are spontaneity. They have to be family oriented. Are you able to compromise if you see some deficiency and then help to try to fix it together or separately? They have to be financially sound, plus or minus, depending on where both of you are. Loves dogs, <laughs> of course, because, you know, most people I know have dogs. Experience new things, although they're scared and love to grow. But when you get mad at everything, you're stubborn. You have emotionally spiteful, uh, meddling families. If you're emotionally unavailable, you refuse to talk through issues and you just refuse to deal with issues. You kind of sweep things under the mud and then you lash out when it gets too much. Those things are cons of most relationships platonic or otherwise, and when you have to back away. But these are real things. Talking about these real things, why people would go back to somebody that would cheat. Why would somebody try to work on issues? And when are the issues worth working on? What are your deal breakers? And being honest with it, and what is your exit plan if you have the deal breakers? This was just a book. Giselle Bryant's My Words. And it was only a microcosm or a small part of probably some of the BS she dealt with for a number of years in her short marriage to her husband and even in the character. It was loosely based on, but I'm not so far how far from the truth this book actually was. But you could feel the pain, the disappointment, how this the character rebounds and how this is good news for all of us. Even though the world brings you some crazy crap, you can still rebound from most things as long as you don't let it destroy you. Or you can harden your heart and then go ape shit crazy off of something so minuscule as Casa Azul tequila like Jizzy became in a tizzy in the girl's trip in Thailand. She was wrecking shit and overturn almost overturning tables because she wanted to find out who had jacked her tequila. You could have actual good TV moments by dealing with real facts, still be good TV and not always have to be on turn up mode for something so minuscule and petty as tequila. I don't get it. But there it is. Cheryl Griner rocks, y'all. Um, I saw on social media where she had just passed the bar. But I'm pulling up information now just to give you a little bit of detail on why she rocks so hard. So here we go. To Cheryl Griner Esquire. Hey, mad at this girl. She, in her own right, she has been known for more she's known for more than just being Brittany Griner's wife everybody know who Brittany is um if you didn't know now you do she actually was held basically in captivity in a Russian penal colony for a vape cartridge with cannabis and it may not have been cannabis it could have been a plant but who knows and just recently her wife has gained her And as I said, (laughs) she's from that fuck around and find out generation for real, y'all. 
because she's actually and the Biden administration has found out who she is and what she is. They said she's an American teacher. However, I want to basically focus on Cheryl Griner um, and her just her um, because she's done a great thing. She's gotten her she passed the bar. Oh, I didn't know she's only 29 and she's a math teacher, was a math teacher because right now she is crazy there. She's so young. She's an influencer from Little Rock. Hell, she's from the South, too. And she graduated from North Carolina Central. Maybe she got her bar in North Carolina or maybe she went back to Arkansas or back to Phoenix, Arizona, I should say. She's considered mixed, but she's of African-American descent. That's interesting. She's a Watson. She's one of them Watson girls. And she's more than just being Brittany's wife. And I think what irks most people is you're talking about a sister that is a part of the LGBTQI community. She led the charge to get her wife released from that penal colony. She carried herself in every aspect, every interview, even after Brittany was released with class, with style and with grace and came right back and say, "Okay, and by the way, y'all tripping because these fools need to be released, too. Now she has a law degree and you best believe not just a law degree. She passed the bar. And I honestly believe through everything that she learned by the wrongful detention of her wife, she is with the shits, meaning not only are we going to start seeing Bill Crump, we're going to start seeing her with all these trans and the attack on the trans community. She's from the, she's with the shits like the Justins are. She's from the fuck around and find out generation. Don't mess with her. Don't play in her face. She's a sister with a law degree and she got a chip and she got an axe to grind and grind it. She will slow and steady goes to mark. She's fitting to get into some good trouble. And that's what we're going to do. Hats off to Cheryl Griner Esquire. And she rocks so much. Also, I wanted to basically mention I go from one good news, black news to just stupid news. I have the pleasure to read multiple newspapers a day. And I thought I was going to be not add more than what's his name? Fura DeSantis, um, Yonkin and them to um, the side eye sidebar and just the donkeyness. But I'm giving a major donkey to this girl. But I'm going to hold tight right there because I want the big hee-haw, yee-haw, knee-haw braying of the donkey to go into this segment. Why is it that a skinny white Karen think her choice of leaving being an influencer can be equivalent to a slave? I had to take a sip of my cocktail on that because she tripping. I was I have the pleasure, as I was saying previously, of reading or having access to 
upwards of seven newspapers a day. Mad shout out to an ex-boyfriend for hipping me too. He basically uh, sat down. I don't know how he processed information, but I did not know his OCD-ness. My following after it, I find fodder for my podcast. So thank you, bro. Big ups to him. He just turned 50 this year, by the way. But anyways, I'm reading a New York Times style section as I've done for the past 10 years, living in the South, being fascinated by the old gray lady. And in particular, I was fascinated by this. This chick, Lee from America, it's a story about a once very popular influencer by the name of Lee Tilgman, who gave up her influencer gig and 400,000 Instagram followers to take a nine to five. And this is the advice. She got paid as much as $20,000 for a single branded Instagram post advertising alternative nut flavor flowers. And when she went to her nine to five, a coworker pulled her aside that first morning and said and wanted to impress upon her the stakes of that decision. This is terrible, he told her. Like, I'm at a desk. And she says, you don't get it. You think you're a slave, but you're not. You, When you're an influencer, then you have chains on. And I say to Lee Tilgman, bitch, what the fuck? This is the only reason why I will always be somebody in progress. Because you dumb as hell. And he know you is dumb as hell. And he dumb as hell too because neither one of y'all are slaves. From an African American woman, I am just maybe three or four generations from the overseer's whip, bitch. The difference between your dumb ass and his dumb ass is both of y'all get fucking paid and you got choices. Just because you are anxious about picking the right nut flavor and basically posing your post um, in an eloquent way that are going to get your followers to agree with you and you have to post a certain amount to get your cash, bitch, bye, I'm tired. You have to get the likes. You have to get the people riled up to be able to follow you and be able to be a part of your brand and you get 20 G's to do it. A slave. If you don't do the work, you get beat. If you do the work, you can still get beat down just because the overseer master wanted to kill your ass. Your family can be broken up. You have no choice but to work. From sun up to sundown until you die. You don't have a choice. You don't have to work and be creative. You All you get to create is more cuts and gashes in your hands. Get your nails ripped off. Bake under the sun under a heat stroke. That is what a slave is. Ask the women that are in sex trade slavery. Ask the kids that are cleaning out the slaughterhouses to this day, even though the EPA tried to shut the ass down. That is slavery, modern day slavery. And the reality of the Holocaust of the African-American experience in this country for 400 goddamn years. That's slavery. But the shit you talking about because you can't don't want to post on Instagram no more because you just got some anxiety. Girl, bye. 
smoke some fucking weed because it's legal in New York now and keep it pushing. But you comparing your bitch ass to a slave is offensive, is wrong, and you will get the everlasting donkey just because you dumb as hell. And you need to stop using that analogy because it's not an analogy. There is no comparison because both of your dumb asses have a choice. You don't have to clock in. You don't have to do the post. You can change jobs if you want to. A slave is tied to the master until he gets beat to death or he gets jumped out by death. But this uh, but this shit you going through is not slavery. Stop it, Lee Tilgman, because you need a beat down because you're not that's that you're not a slave. So take that analogy out. And Maddie Kahn that wrote this article with that clip at the top. Girl, you need to go sit down somewhere. I'm going to need to basically point this out to you because um, as an editorial, and I'll need to delete that and apologize for that analogy because you bitch at none of this should have been in the New York Times. It is absolutely offensive that y'all wrote that shit. Just saying. You ain't a slave, so stop it. Y'all trying so hard to equate y'all little bit of experience to the Holocaust and the terror that has given generations afterwards PTSD. I can't. I'm so tired of y'all. The white privilege is this. Y'all just basically are culturally appropriating everything and try to equate our horror to your bitch ass experience. Making 20 G's a post? Bitch, bye. I can't. I'm so tired of y'all. I'm so tired. I wanted to just insert this as a reminder that the bonus episodes will drop either Thursday or Friday. I talk about everything space from NASA, uh, great tech, what I'm eating and drinking, as well as everything from the Star Trek universe. Also, I have my favorite part, Ten Fro's Bar uh, Shop Talk, where I talk about uh, upcoming draft, uh, everything Dallas Cowboys, you name it, about sports and sports adjacent, I talk about. Don't forget to navigate to my premium channel, Ten Fro's Bar, before it goes behind the paywall. Become a patron on Patreon, subscribe, drop a sister a tip, and you too will have full access to all of the episodes as they become available. And thank you for joining or listening. The Shady Bunch, the Shady Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. And ongoing, more from the gray lady, Mystery Rap. I am looking at a mid-20th century picture of the violinist, Jasha Heifetz in Jerusalem, who was basically attacked for playing Richard Strauss. Um, This is in um, today's paper, uh, April 16th edition of the New York Times in classical music and the arts and leisure section. And one of the things that struck me, I was like, he looks like Data from <laughs> Star Trek. Everything leads back to Star Trek, y'all. That's how big of a big-ass nerd I am. 
But I was like, okay, is it Dana or is it Sheldon? But Sheldon being compared to the most advanced AI positronic brain, essentially a robot, <laughs> like Seven of Nine said in this past week's episode of Star Trek Card. I was just amazed. He was a virtuoso, gifted uh, musician. Back in, what is this, in 1953, when Israel was at the time only five years old, we had just learned of the Holocaust, had freed probably the last people from Auschwitz in 545. So we're talking about not even eight years after the last uh, prisoner from the prison camps, death camps was freed less than a decade about the horror that was within inside and outside of Poland was actually known. This dude was on tour playing his violin for the people of Auschwitz and he couldn't read the room. He was attacked by something called the Hebrew youth because what are you doing, Eshel? What's going on? What's wrong? Uh-oh, sorry. She was biting on something. Are you trying to bite my headset? I'm almost finished, I promise. But anyways, basically warned him. Again, a different episode, different cause. But they were like, fuck around and find out. Evidently, and I didn't know this, Richard Strauss was a Nazi collaborator. He was a German composer made beautiful music and the music was beautiful and I know your cause y'all were or the land was just I kind of get it but not really because it doesn't apply to me I'm not a holocaust survivor I didn't go through that horror and he has beautiful music and it should transcend what I'm trying to do because I know I can play this shit to the best of my ability and the Hebrew youth were like, go ahead, fuck around, find out. And he did. Basically took a bar and cracked his ass in his hand. And if he hadn't used his violin case to break the blow, he they probably would have beat his dumb ass to death. Shalansky always, which became a government official within Binion's uh, government, said he always knew who basically attacked him. And I, and it's also conjectured that he knew who attacked that man because he was probably the one that attacked him. I bring this up after talking about Cheryl Griner because there, there's a bunch of turmoil that's going on around with the judicial process in Israel right now where the extreme right, they appear to be as stupid as chump followers that are trying to the democracy and it's kind of very similar to what's going on in our they're basically trying for a power grab and streamline the judicial process without with removing the judicial process and it's a, a basically seems like a big power grab completely against all the doctrine of what um, Israel is stands on similar very similar to what's going on in our country this is so obvious that this data look at MFR, he didn't read the room and he didn't understand what it meant to not represent 
something like that. For example, you can get canceled in our country if you use words that are offensive to other people, like white people can't use the N-word. You can't even use words that could be offensive to the uh, people with CP. You can't use words that could be offensive to the trans community, even though they are under broad face attack by conservative legislatures in and out of Washington, D.C. What I'm finding is you have to look to what the greater good and what it means to not play a whole genre of music that we could possibly miss out. We could have missed out on a whole genre of music of all the Jewish people were actually murdered. What Wagner represents is he played while the gas chambers were lit up and five million people just disappeared off of the face of the earth. He basically was telling people, spied for the Nazis. You don't get a buy because of your approximation with evil just because you make great music. Same thing can go with being funny with Bill Cosby. Same thing will go with R. Kelly. There are certain levels of evil that can't be excused. And this dude, he only got some bumps and bruises, but they could have beat him to death. They could have broken his hand in so many places he couldn't have never played again if he had just read the room. And if it was just a gesture of respect, all he had to not do was play that because of its close proximity to the annihilation of a whole race of people. Why would you do that? And why would you adopt the same ideas of the people that tried to kill you? Because I think that's what's going on in um, Israel today. Why would you do trying to just get rid of a whole branch of people because you're trying to consolidate power? That's what the Nazis did. Why would you do that? That absolutely makes no sense to me. I say all of that to say this. I was intrigued by how good he so far, how much he looked like data. But even data, especially in Picard now, with an integration, he now knows how to integrate his feelings, use even the bad for good to basically combat a common evil. And that's all he had to do. And he basically said at the end of this article, in the last, even the last part of his life, 1970, he finally got it. Just took the motherfucker about 30 years to get it. But as a part of his set list, he not only did he donate a grip of money, but he basically said his set list included Strauss, where he could have played it and killed it anywhere else. But out of respect, because it just, again, took him 50, almost 30 years to realize, yeah, it's tacky. And while I'm in Israel, I'm going to have to go ahead and leave this shit out because it's the offense and what it means to even play this collaborator to evil's music. And that was the best decision for him. I also like my weekends because I don't have to rush off to do a job. I get to reflect on unreality TV. Um, right now I'm watching <laughs> my favorite is 90 Day Fiance the other way. I really like the responses of former cast members as they look at the craziness that is this show. Unreality TV, to me, is only good when there is an absolute affection for the castmates 
on and off the screen when it's contrived and when they try to kill each other and annihilate their lives. That's when it becomes dark and something less than. I keep going back to Potomac because even with the delusions of Karen, I think it would have been balanced out if they had somebody that was on that show that was more real. And I think if Carlos King or somebody similar to him was absolutely the producer of that show, because I saw what he did on Real Housewives of Atlanta, same franchise, group of black women and black people, but in Atlanta, Georgia, we had Portia wilding out, lying, lying, fucking around, um, and attacked two different people. And she's still on the show and got a spinoff and actually married a, a truly Nigerian. I can't. And then we get Monique Samuels that they allowed her to burn up. There was no retribution. Nobody checked on her. And it was led by somebody that should have had some sense with her four degrees. Railroaded that girl off the show. But nobody was concerned in shoring up because they said it was better TV to basically watch her demise. And then that became a, a theme that you play up to the camera, even though it's lives and it doesn't make for good TV. It leaves a bad taste in folks mouth and you let people off like lying green eyed bandits like Robin and Giselle. I just don't understand that. I also had the opportunity to compare how escape was back in when they had that their first post breakup get together when they was got back together back in 2017, which was probably close to the beginning of Real Housewives of um, Atlanta. And I think the family hustle was actually doing well, but I didn't know at the time that Tiny and T.I. had separated. And when it was just them and we didn't get really into the background mess of the reality of Tamika and Latasha when it was obvious how Latasha, fake Latasha was. And when uh, Tamika was just going along to get along, but she was so much fun and why Candy was so hesitant because she knew what was up. And she also knew uh, her marriage to Todd, I think, happened at the same time. Um, she was just ramping up with everything, with her songwriting, um, all of the businesses of Atlanta. So she was good. She didn't need the drama because she knew it was more than them being on stage. For them to be able to produce and perform on stage required so much out of a life she had curated and so carefully built. And she wasn't about the shits. And I got that. It would have been great if they could have just sang, but Candy knew on from a business aspect that it really wasn't worth it to her. And when the Queens of R&B came along, it would have been a boon to Tamika and Tasha. But Tasha had basically been just stewing for a number of years, even though I honestly think the even with her scheming and Rocky, uh, stealing hands, Steven, she still really had nothing to show for all of that scheming. She still needed the group even to solidify her 
out. She needed her sister, but she definitely needed the group to basically solidify her own single deal. And I don't think it's going to be popular. It's going to probably stay out there in the film like things are. But I don't think the gospel people are going to believe her because her life is in vain. And it's not the same because I think they basically dissolved the business entity that managed escape the four of them. She's out of the group. I think she still she needed the group to solidify her single deal with the gospel. But she also needed the group to also continue with her popularity. It would have been believable if she hadn't been so shady because restoration Um, And forgiveness is all a part of the gospel experience. But she basically shaded herself out of her blessing. And that's what you get. And now I've moved on to watching uh, Married to Medicine. I don't know. The only reason why I started watching it, because I've been watching um, previous episodes of Real Housewives of Atlanta, how uh, Phaedra basically tried to destroy Candy how she lied basically all through this season uh, with not only on her lack of being faithful to her, her jailbird husband, but she knew a lot of stuff. We knew what it said. Shady Fei they called her. She lied about uh, when she got pregnant. She lied about uh, her faithfulness to Apollo and she just continued to lie. Um, also, she was the one that had held up the divorce. And I don't know if she had been lying to um, Apollo because she did not need him to sign or do anything when the divorce became final. He said, oh, he the divorce, divorce is not final. But in fact, in actuality, it was because of what the discussion she had with Faye Faye had with her own lawyer. And then she had denied culpability. As long as you were fricked to her frack, she wouldn't destroy you. And unfortunately, Portia found out the hard way. She lied, had Portia backing up the lie in that season and then got found out on national TV. And she could have basically because that was at I don't think it that was at the same time, the same, probably the same time the Bill Cosby and the Me Too movement had been picked up. And a lot of people uh, had fallen by the wayside. Candy knew what was at stake. She probably also knew that because of her proximity with her group and the music industry and the R. Kelly of it all, she knew how it all could have come crashing down. And I can't remember when R. Kelly was formally arrested. And then, but we, it wasn't until uh, in the last three or four years that we got all of these um, docu-series about it. And I say all of that to say unreality TV only is good TV when they're not trying to destroy people because I've noticed that uh, the type of producers that will curate the story and make for and build up those characters that do make for good reality TV also support them when they actually to keep them from true falling apart because you can't have continued ratings and the, and the suspense of the disbelief if the viewers like myself stop suspending it because it's not worth it because it's just so disgusting. And we try and we ask ourselves, why did this person get a buy and that person doesn't? Why did you, she, 
for example, I keep going back to Monique Samuels because she's obviously a beautiful woman. Her spirit, she talked a lot. But at the same time, I bet she basically, if they had saw, and I'm sure if they had somebody that had a strong enough ability to redirect her and to get her the help that she needed to get over those things, they could have continued to have something great. But it's self-destructing because they wanted such a salacious storyline at the expense of the cast and their families. And they didn't give a fuck. It was all about numbers. It was all about the mess. And it was all about the ratings. And they didn't care who they destroyed because they would have did everything in their power to make sure she was supported um, and gone on like they did on Real Housewives of Atlanta and not played into the BS. Because here we are with uh, Mia and her broke ass and her dumb ass. And it's obvious that they don't talk to each other. They're not friends on and or off the cameras. And to me, that's sad. I hope they get or they figure out something, but I think it's going to take a shake up in the producers. I'm not sure if it's going to take a shake up in the cast because the cast, basically, they're going to need somebody that's going to basically say, we need real life. We don't need this contrived shit. And if you're not willing to tell the truth and to be vulnerable to a certain extent, then you don't get to be a part of this cast. And if it takes us going on hiatus for an extended period of time or canceling the show altogether, that's what you need to make to do because this last season of Potomac can never happen again because it was BS and it was absolutely disgusting. So I'm just saying the unreality of it all and the disgust at the expense of families, it should not have happened. Just saying. And that's it for this episode of Tenfro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.